Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days without the wilderness, in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore they named it Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And now chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month and they had departed, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We're walking through this letter, and we got to chapter 1, verse 27, and Paul changed, directed his attention away from himself and what's going on in his life, and he's putting it now, folks, on the Philippians. And how they how they were to walk with God and what God would have them to do. And Jesus has really raised the bar here as we read um, from verse 127 on. He, he's speaking to these believers, those who've been born again, those who have been adopted into God's household. And, and he, he gives commands like this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live worthily. And then he says... Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's chapter 2, verse 5. Have the same attitude as Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 12, that we saw last week, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, these are really high standards. These are really these commands given through Paul from the Lord, really high standards. Okay, let me just set in the bar really high. These are things that, and, and they're really, they're these standards given in broad strokes. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to do these things, right? Kind of like love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Or live by the Spirit. These are just really lofty commands that they are kind of broad stroke commands, aren't they? But Paul today, in our text today, is going to give, I think, more specific, kind of narrow that down a little bit, give us more specific things to focus on. And we've seen Jesus, the humble, the helpful, the other's first Jesus. And Paul says, be like him. We should try to imitate him in everything we do. Work out your salvation. Imitate him in every area of your life. And it's not a casual attempt. Sammy, remember, it's not a casual attempt. It's something we have to get after. We really need to get after and, 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 and make an effort. We talked about how we make an effort in so many things, and we encourage our children to make efforts in so many things, but are we really making an effort, and we encourage our children to really get after it, make an effort to follow Jesus? But we have to remember as we come off the, the, that idea, and, and we, we follow that, that thought with 
a reminder of, of chapter 1, verse 6, that the work that God began, He will complete. And as we looked last week, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's followed with verse 13. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So we have to remember, we have to pause and remember, yeah, we're to get after it and really work at being like Christ. But we have to remember, we don't white-knuckle it. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and grit our teeth and get her done in our own strength. When we try to do that on our own, what do we do? We deflate the gospel of power. We rob God of glory. And our goal of being like Christ we'll never attain. It's not something that we just do on our own. No, this is all happening because God is working in us. Just like salvation is totally 100% the work of God in our lives. This sanctification process, us becoming like Christ, being like Him in every area of our life, that's the work of God in us. So we have to remember that. It's not something we just, you know, get her done. No, it's, it's something we still have to depend on the Lord to do in us. And so here in verses 14, he's given us more specific things of what to work on. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Here's some specific things we're to do. It's kind of like clean the room. Kaylee might say, clean the room. That's real general, right? And then she says, dust your furniture and clean out from under the bed. That's specific. So we're going to get more specific today. Let's read this text, verse, verses 14 through 18. We're just coming off that workout, your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you. And then look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am be, it, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Three points today just from our text. They come straight from the text. And I want to point out something. Look at verse 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that. That verse 15, the word that. If you, if you write in your Bible, circle that. That's a purpose clause. That's really important. So you see that purpose calls that, and then you get to 16, holding fast to the word of life, comma, so that, that's a purpose clause. You can circle that in your Bible, make note of that. That's kind of how I see this, this passage, the structure of this passage, how we can outline it. So the first point is don't grumble or complain, but be different from the world. This is verse 14 and 15. Don't grumble or complain, but be different from the world. It's interesting that Paul, he teaches the Philippians to work out their salvation, and he didn't, he didn't immediately say, don't be sexually immoral, don't be selfish, but he said, he says, don't grumble. Jerry Bridges, he calls this type of sin respectable sins. You know, it's sins that everybody does. Well, you know, those things are bad. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. You know, we kind of label those things. Yeah, those things are terrible. But grumbling and complaining, well, you know, everybody's got to have a little of that now. You know, we all got to do a little of that. That's just part of life, isn't it? It's what some people call respectable sins. And grumbling can be both outward and inward. You know, outward is one we voice. But inward is what we oftentimes do. You know, when you're a child, my dad was real good to me, but he told me to do something, and I kind of did it. And I would do it, but I wouldn't want to do it. 
But I do it because I knew I was going to get a spanking if I didn't. So I did it. But inside you're going, you know, that, that's that inward grumbling. So there's an outward grumbling, but an inward grumbling as well. But it's a problem of the heart, is it not? Both are a problem of the heart. Well, think about the context. Here's the Philippians. What do they have to grumble about? Think about their context. What's going on in Philippi? Philippi is a city of Macedonia, but it's a Roman city, isn't it? And they're living among Roman pagan peoples. And if you remember, Paul, when he went to Philippi, he wasn't treated so kindly. And so they are undergoing the same treatment that Paul received. They're suffering persecution and they're having difficulty. So the Philippians, they could find a lot to grumble about, couldn't they? But notice he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling is kind of like an American pastime, isn't it? If you notice, you watch the news. I was at my, my in-laws and my father-in-law. He watches a lot of Fox News, you know. And uh, if you notice the news, it's a lot of that grumbling. That's really what news is about. It's kind of like grumbling about the other side. And you turn on that channel, it's grumbling about the other side. You know, it's a lot of grumbling. But we have a lot to grumble about, don't we, about maybe the government or the election or the economy, about taxes and maybe even the weather, um, you know, everybody ought to be wearing masks. No, nobody ought to be wearing masks. You know, we got plenty with this COVID thing. We have more ammunition now don't, to, to, to fight with or grumble about. But think about this. What if, I, what if I, on the screen here, if I put up a couple of complaints that I found this week from your Instagram post or your Facebook post? What, what do you think about that? Some of you are thinking, what did I write? I'm going to post this week. And it's not just a worldly thing, you know, the thing that, that the world pagans do, but it, it infiltrates and it's something that we Christians and church have to struggle with and have to fight against because we, we have struggles too. The sermon was too long. The sermon was too short. <laughs> we never get those, do we? It's always too long, right? Um, <laughs> you know, the people are too affectionate. They were just touchy, touchy, touchy. Or, man, those people were cold. They weren't, they weren't affectionate at all, right? There's too many people. There's not enough people, right? There's just so much to complain about. And it's for all of us. How many of you grumble and complain? Yeah, we all do, right? This is something for, for all of us. Now you're going to grumble because I'm preaching on grumbling, right? Um, yeah, it's just part of what we, it's like our default, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not just American pastime. It's a human being pastime because we have a sin nature and we live in a world among people who are critical and negative. And so it's really easy for us to be negative. And, and Israel was good at grumbling. Israel, the people of God. Morgan read that text for you out of Exodus 15 and 16. They had just been rescued, redeemed from Egypt. God poured out his judgment, ten judgments. We call them ten plagues upon the Egyptians. While they are suffering from boils and gnats and Flies and all their livestock dying. The Israelites are in Goshen and everything is wonderful. God, after the last judgment, the death of the firstborn, he rescued them. They went across the Red Sea on dry ground as the Pharaoh's army were drowned by the waters. And what did they do? They grumbled. They grumbled because the water was bitter. And so God sweetened the water. Then chapter 16, they grumbled because they didn't have food. And so what did God do? He gave them manna from heaven. And then what did they do? 
They grumbled. They wanted meat, so God gave them quail. And what do they do? They grumbled. They have water again, and so God gave them water from a rock. And so you just see this time and time again. They grumble, they grumble, they grumble. And in Exodus 16, 8, he didn't read this text, but I want to read it for you. They're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And Moses says, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us. Your grumbling is against the Lord. Your real problem is not with me. Your problem is with the Lord. And we see 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. It's a reference made to Israel. And they're grumbling. It says, Do not be idolaters, or some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. See what you have idolatry, and you have judgment, then you have sexual immorality, and you see this judgment of God. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. It's interesting, he, the same category. You have idolatry, sexual immorality, and, and, and grumbling all put together. And the result was all the same. There was judgment from the Lord. And we see it in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Undoubtedly, there's some in the house churches there. They were feeling underappreciated or, or, or that some of their house guests were taking advantage of their, their goodness. Maybe they're staying too long. Maybe they're eating too much. Maybe they're making too big a mess. I don't know. But there's some grumbling going on, isn't it? And we don't really have to wonder if we're going to be tempted to grumble or not. Time and time again, we're tempted to grumble because we have flesh and we live in a fallen world. It's so easy to do. It's so carnal. It's so default, isn't it? Max Licato, he tells of a, a man who came home one day and his, immediately his wife started complaining, which led to this intense argument. He got home at 6.30 in the evening. He spent an hour trying to make up or trying to you know, de-escalate this feud to no avail, and finally he said, hey, let's just start over. Let's just pretend that I just got home. In fact, I'm going to walk outside, and I'm going to walk back in, and let's just have a, a new start. So he walks outside, and he, he steps back in. He says, honey, I'm home. She looked at him and said, it's 7.30 at night, and you're just now getting home? <laughs> kind of like we are, isn't it? It's, it's real easy to complain and grumble. What's going on in, the, in our hearts when we grumble? Let's think about that for a second. What, what goes, what's going on in it? Because it's, it's a heart issue, of course. It's sin, all sin is. What's going on in the heart as we grumble? Think about this. The sovereign Lord, he is not a bystander to our trouble, is he? All the things that happen in our lives, he knows about. Not only does he know about it, he either allows them or he brings them about. Is that not true? If he, is he sovereign or not? So God is sovereign, and all the little difficulties in our lives, our trials, all of those struggles are brought to us by the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's allowing or bringing all those things into our lives. And in Romans eight twenty eight tells us that our, our trials have a purpose, right? They're purposeful. He uses those. He doesn't waste not one inconvenience, not one single hardship. He used them for our good and for his 
glory. So when we grumble and complain, what are we doing? We're believing or thinking that God is not being good to us. Either he's unable to give us what is good or he's not giving good things to us. Either he can or he won't. Jack Arnold says this. He says, Grumbling is to forget and deny the sovereignty of God, believing that everything is working against us and God is responsible for it. Grumbling. It does several things. Again, it says that God isn't sovereign or he isn't good. One of the two. It also, it causes disunity. And that's what we've been talking about all through. We've seen this over and over again. Part of living worthily, right? Living lives worthy of the gospel is that we, we promote unity. We have the same focus, same goal. Working together, striving to attain those goals. Well, grumbling causes disunity. But it also discredits our testimony. It neutralizes our effectiveness because what happens, we just look like all the other pagans in the world, right, when we grumble. So grumble is about a, a lack of faith that God is able or God is good. Well, we know God is able and he's good, right? Every hardship that comes into our life, every struggle, God is aware of, sovereign over, using it for our good. And when we grumble, we, we are forgetting that. We're not believing that he is good and he is sovereign. So how do we keep from grumbling? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, we all grumble. How do we keep from grumbling? It always comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? Adrian, it's always the gospel is always the solution. What's the solution? Gospel. Our, the solution that our thoughts must be centered on the gospel. The Israelites, why'd they grumble? They just were rescued from Egypt. Annabeth, they just they were just rescued from from Egypt, but but they quickly forgot. How they quick so quickly forget? I don't know, but they did. They they quickly forgot what God had just done for them, and they began to grumble. And not only that, had they forgotten what God had done, but they forgotten that they didn't deserve the rescue. They're redeemed. They're rescued from Egypt, but they forgot that they didn't deserve that. Somehow, in their convoluted, sinful mind, they begin to think that they actually not only deserve that, but they deserve much more. But see, for us as Christians, we have to remember the gospel. That's the solution to our grumbling. Yeah, this is difficult. Yeah, this situation that works difficult. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my husband. Yeah, my kids. Yeah, my... That's a difficult situation. But... I not only deserve this hardship, I deserve hell. You know, the whole concept of remembering the gospel, remembering that everything above hell is a privilege. Everything above hell is a privilege. Solution for our grumbling is to remember the gospel. We don't deserve even these, to go through these inconveniences. We deserve his worst, but yet he's given us his best. And he's using these good things, these, these hard things, making them good by making us like Christ. And look at verse 15, the, the reason for not grumbling, the, that, again, that purpose clause, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. 
yeah, the, we, we live among a, a crooked and twisted generation among lost people, among pagan peoples who don't love God. And so we, we don't grumble. We're, we'll be blameless, innocent. And we'll shine as lights in the world. Think about it. To be content and not grumble is really otherworldly. It's really godly. Worldly people are grumblers and complainers and are negative. When you don't grumble, you are lights in the darkness. That crooked and twisted generation. It's, it's interesting because in Deuteronomy 32.5, it's just Moses preaching to the Israelites right before they go into the promised land. Remember, Deuteronomy is the second given of the law. Same law given to the second generation right before they go into the promised land. This the second generation, they weren't taught the law. And so Moses is is reteaching them law, giving them a tutorial on how when you get into the promised land, this is how you're to conduct yourselves. And he says in, in Deuteronomy 32, 5, they have dealt corruptly, corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. That's, that's referring to Israel. And it's interesting. He's talking about pagan peoples as a crooked and twisted generation. So let me ask you a question. Is our speech different than those in the world? You have people that you work with that are not believers. Is your speech different than theirs? When you talk with those in your class or at school or at work, do you project to, the, to those people that, that there is a sovereign God who is in control of all things? But when we grumble, we, we're saying the opposite, that no, God's, there's not a sovereign God. He's not good. He's not in control. So this point, maybe we'll just talk about application for a second. We'll move on to the second point. What's the application here? And maybe this is something that, you know, our families, maybe as a family or maybe as a couple uh, that we need to address in our homes. Because I say, who grumbles? You know, we all put our hand up. Yeah, we, we, I think we, most of us would say, yeah, that's something I do. Well, we need to repent, right? By application, just repent of that grumbling, Kristen. And maybe memorize scripture here. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 is a great, even verse 14 is great for our children, isn't it? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's real easy. Maybe just memorizing that scripture, maybe by way of application, getting some tools to fight against that, that sin that's so respectable, that grumbling. And it says not grumbling is one way to be, to be light, right? Shine as lights in the world. We shine by not grumbling. Yeah, we're, we're different when we don't grumble. And in verse 16 continues that sentence, holding fast to the word of life. We also add to our witness by holding fast to the word of life. So second point, hold fast to the word so to validate both your salvation and, and Paul's ministry. And that would be for the Philippians. But you could put in there instead of Paul's ministry, your shepherd, your pastor's ministry. Hold fast to the word of life. The word of life is, is our source of strength, isn't it? The scriptures. And, and the message that, that it proclaims, we hold out to the world. And it's interesting that, that hold fast. I don't know if you, it's kind of like if, you, uh, if you're playing football and the, and, the, and the ball is fumbled. What do you do? They teach you to, you, you jump on the ball, you kind of cradle it, and you put it in your stomach and you hold on because people are going to try to take the ball from you, right? So this idea of holding fast, it's not that, that really picture. 
but it's uh, uh, holding fast is like if you have it with both hands, but you're, you're presenting it to someone. You're holding out for someone else. That's kind of the picture there. So it's not something we're holding fast. You're like, okay, we're going to keep the word and we're going to obey the word and we're going to live out the, the truths of Scripture. Yeah, it is that, but it's also we're, we're holding forth this word of life for others. It's also a, a proclamation. So we aren't to be a complaining church. We're to be a proclaiming church, right? Not only obeying the word, but sharing the truth with the world. It's kind of like when you complain, you turn the lights off of the church. But proclaiming the word of life shines a light in the light of Christ. And there's, we, we talked about this. There's, there's people in our families who are, who are not believers. You know, like, yeah, I've shared the gospel with them, and they really not, don't, don't have any interest. Well, we have to just keep praying, don't we? And ask for unobtrusive ways to share the gospel. Because no one's going to be... No one's going to have their spiritual eyes and spiritual ears open unless they hear the truth of the word, right? That's the only solution. I mean, that's how we were saved. That's how we grow is through the, hearing the word. Hold fast to the word, right? And we see this elsewhere, this hold fast to the word. I think Colossians chapter three sixteen. I think it's the same concept. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think it's the same thing. Paul's just saying it in a different way. Again, going back to that purpose clause, so that in verse 16, hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, that means when Christ comes back, right, the second coming, the day of judgment, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, there's Paul's in prison. Think about the context. Paul's in prison. There's some people, you know, Jews and, and pagans alike, who are saying, you know, look at Paul. What a waste. I mean, he's probably going to be put to death. And for what? I mean, think about all the potential Paul had. What an intellectual. What an educated person. What a great mind. He's throwing his life away. He's about to die. His mission has failed. But what's Paul saying? He says, yeah, that may be so. But if the Philippian believers, if they're just faithful, if they're faithful to the end, right, then Paul's ministry, his efforts will be justified. How many of you like wasting your time? I'm kind of a task-oriented fella. I'm going to tell you, when I, when I have my sticky note and I, I mark that off and, and cross that off and throw it in the gar garbage can every day, it's like the Spirit moves on my life. <laughs> it's just the way I work. Um, but I don't like wasting time. And, and this week we, had a, um, we have some construction going on in the back. And Lord willing, in a couple weeks we're going to have all that stuff done. But we had this week, we, we took everything out of the children's wing and we put it right here. Literally right here because we had a crew that was fixing floors, stripping floors, going to wax floors and things like that. And so we took all that out. And so Morgan had a crew come up Wednesday morning and they were going to take all the furniture and put it back because Monday and Tuesday that was going to be done. Well, they get here Wednesday and the work hadn't been done. It's like, what happened? Well, the crew got sick. And on top of that, they had a surgery scheduled for Wednesday morning. So Monday and Tuesday, they were sick, and then I'm going to do the work, and then Wednesday had this surgery. And so guess what? We have church in here. So guess what Morgan got to do? Yeah. He got to move all that furniture back without the work being done. Guess what? We'll have to move that back this week. And so what is that? He did all that labor in vain. And we hate that. Ugh. It's a waste of time, right? 
We don't want to waste our time. We don't want to do these things for nothing, right? We don't want to labor in vain. But Paul, he wants them to not grumble, to hold fast to the truth of the word. So Paul's work with them, when it's all said and done on the day of judgment, will not be in vain, will not be for nothing. And, and Paul, you know, he, he's a pastor, and, and pastors are, our job is to care for the flock, and we'll be judged according to how we shepherd people, how we care for people, how we love people, how we teach people. And Paul says, be faithful. Don't grumble. Hold firmly to the word, not only for yourself and obeying it, but proclaiming that message to others so that when it's all said and done, you stand before the Lord. The work that I, I did will not be in vain. So what's the application for this point for us today? I think one time, one thing is we never really graduate from that word time devotional thing. You know, when, when someone becomes a believer, we really want to get them in a the habit of, of reading the Bible regularly. But you know, it's, some, it's no matter how old you get, no matter how much of the Bible you know, no matter what your position in the church is, right? No matter how many sermons you preach or Bible studies you prepared or whatever, you never graduate from that Bible study time. Just getting up in the morning and open the scriptures and reading and studying the scriptures. You never graduate from that. And I'm looking around, there's somebody, somebody who's been believers a long time. But you never graduate. We need to digest the Word. We need to eat the Word. We need to feed on it day in and day out, day in and day out. You never graduate from that. So I think one, one application, I think, maybe for us is this is the last of, the, of 2020, and we're starting 2021, you know. Maybe recommit ourselves anew to, to being faithful to study and read the Bible. And most of you, if you've been here for a while, you know how to study the Bible. I mean, I can honestly say, I know the students, they know how to study the Bible. They, they have four inductive Bible study questions. They can real simply go through a book and, and, and maybe have trouble from time to time. But by and large, the adults, we've done it. You should know how to study the Bible. If you're like, man, I really don't know how to do that, but I want to do that this new year, then call me. I would love we'll meet together, and I'll show you real simply how you can do that. But most of you, you, you know how to do that if you've been here very long. But I think just by way of application, maybe you know, recommit ourselves to being faithful to di digest the word and eat the word. And I know when we do our confession time in, in the, in, on Sunday mornings, and as you, I think most of us, we don't spend enough time in the word. And so that often comes to your mind. I didn't meditate day and night on the scriptures. I didn't delight in the word of God. Yeah, we never graduate from that for maybe application. Let's just, just get back to the word. And, and another thing is, you know, we, in small group leaders, again, we'll revisit this. We meet on Tuesday mornings, but I really want you to stress this in our small groups of everybody having that one person, at least one person that they're, they're, they're seeking to share the gospel with, to teach truth with, to. We really need to focus on that again. Make sure we have that one person that we're praying and asking the Lord to give us opportunities to share with and teach and share and, and you know, not just share the gospel, but share what we're learning also in the scriptures. So maybe by way of application, that's something we can do. And then lastly, we'll finish up real quickly. The last point, don't be marked by grumbling, but rejoicing. Rejoice and be glad. Look at 17 and 18. And Paul says, I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. If that's the case, so be it. That's a good thing. And, and Paul was willing and able to have his blood spilt for the cause of Christ. He's happy for that to happen. Just as Christ emptied himself, Paul says, I'm glad to pour out myself for the glory of God. He said, I'll be a glad offering, right? Rejoicing. He says, I rejoice. And rejoicing is the opposite of grumbling. 
Think about it. Are you ever more like Jesus than when you're rejoicing in the Lord? Paul's a prisoner. He's hopeful he's going to get out, but he's not sure. He's, he's hopeful he's going to get out of prison, but he's not sure. But he can rejoice amidst these uncertain times. He's in, he's in prison. because Why? Because the gospel, again, the gospel is in view. Paul knows, even though he's an apostle, he knows that, that he deserves God's worst. Yeah, he's in prison. He's not sure about his future. But he, know, he, do, he knows that even that is, is, is more than hell, better than hell. So it's a privilege, so he can rejoice. The forgiveness of God causes Paul to rejoice, even though he's in prison in, in a bad situation. Let me think, ask you a question. If you're here, maybe you've, you, you're here and you've never repented, you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you're a child, you're a student, you're an adult. But maybe you've never repented. You've never recognized that you're a sinner. And in your, your mind right now, you may be thinking you're a good person. If that's, a, if that's you, if you're thinking you're pretty good folk, then I would say um, you don't understand the Scriptures and God's view of you. Because the Scripture says that we're not good people. We're terrible people. We're sinful and we're rebellious and we deserve God's wrath. And the truth of the matter is God will pour out His wrath upon you unless you... Repent, turn from your sin and living for yourself. You trust Christ's work on the cross as your own, his death, his resurrection. Yield your will to the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that if you've never done that. Because you can't truly rejoice until you've been saved. But Paul says he is rejoicing even amidst prison even amidst the, his dire circumstances because of the Lord's goodness to him in Christ. Maybe for us believers, application here is just a, a time, let's just have a time of rejoicing. It's 2020, last Sunday we'll worship together. We'll meet on Wednesday night, but the last worship gathering. Maybe we'll just take a moment to rejoice in the Lord and have you offer up praises to the Lord. Anybody want to start us out? And if you're home, maybe if you're home listening um, with your family, maybe you can share amongst your family members of, of praises to the Lord. Anybody want to rejoice in the Lord and tell the Lord how good He is? Praise the Lord for something. Yeah, praise the Lord, man. 45 years. What a blessing. I said, it has. But it's what a legacy for your family. What a legacy for our church and our community. 45 years being faithful to one another. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of churches in our area, they're not meeting. They're doing virtual thing, and we're able to meet. And We've had a lot of sickness in our church, and people are coming out of quarantine. We had some really ill people in the last few weeks, and they're getting better. Thankful for that. You know, I'm, I really praise the Lord. Uh, he's just a good gift giver. We were really praying. We, we were, had the virus in our home and we had flu. And, and so we were trying to go see Jenny's family. Her father has had some health problems and everybody was going to be together. That doesn't happen very often in her family. And so we were really 
anxious for a while that we weren't getting to go, you know, and somebody was going to be sick or something. And we're just so thankful. We all got to be together, had a wonderful time, just a gift from the Lord, just grace. So I'm thankful for that. Somebody else? I want to praise the Lord. Yeah, man. You think about all the people that's never heard the gospel, condemned already, and yet here we are in Tipton County, worshiping together, praising the Lord. Some of us just our hearts full because of God's goodness to us. Isn't that amazing? Why? Why? Why is it that we hear the gospel and respond in faith, and yet there's so many in the world that's not even heard the gospel, they're condemned to hell? What a blessing, what a gift. Man. Yeah. 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 Mercy. Yeah. That's right, brother. The church is going to be built, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? God's going to do his work. Blake mentioned that earlier. God's going to do his work. Nothing's going to thwart it. Isn't that something? God's going to accomplish his will and his purpose. And we're a, we're a part of that. Isn't that great? Anybody else? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, man, the Lord's brought some sweet folks here at our church, even amidst all this upheaval. and Yeah. And I'm real excited. I know a lot of people are still quarantined and people are home, but in the next few weeks, I'm just excited. I ask the Lord to protect us and keep us healthy and safe. And our, much of our family will be coming back to us. We're real excited about what he's doing. I'm excited about, thankful for the money that the Lord's given us. We have, we're a steward. We're, we're about to, we're meeting this week with our missions team. We're about to send out a lot of money to our partners and, and people all over the world that need it and are going to be doing gospel ministry. I'm so thankful, even amidst all the COVID and all the, man, we have an excess of money. We decided last year as a church, if we have excess money at the end of the year, we're not going to put it in the bank. We're going to, we're going to send it out to our partners and people who are doing gospel work, and we're going to do that this week. Really, really excited about that. So thankful. We get to be a part of not just what Lord's doing here, but in Kansas City, in Romania, right, in Malaysia, all over the world, through Lighty Moon, taking this money and sending it out so the gospel can be shared. What a blessing. What a blessing. We have a lot to be thankful for. Come on up, worship team. We're going to sing. This is going to be our benediction. The pardons are going to be here. I know some of you, you have questions. Um, they would love to answer questions about their work, so they're going to be here for a little bit. They're not going to run out. Uh, they would love to talk to you about the work. But we're going to sing. This is going to be our benediction. Uh, all glory be to Christ. We're going to sing a chorus of that, and we'll be dismissed. But Lord bless you. Uh, church council, we're going to stay. We'll meet in the office after for just about five, ten minutes, okay? Let's sing. Stay with us.